captivating landscapes, flawless tobaccos, elegant presentation. Introducing Pure Origin. At JR Cigar, our innovative team is on a journey for unrivaled flavors and enriching experiences. Along that path, we discovered new, distinctive, and groundbreaking tobaccos from the furthest reaches of the earth and are bringing them right to your home. The intentions are pure, the process is pure, the origin is pure. JR Pure Origin. Ladies and gentlemen, boom, here we are. It is Friday night, Friday night herf on the dojo. We're hanging out. I see a bunch of the dojo peeps popping on to the show. Guys, welcome aboard. Uh, please take a minute to uh, like, share, you know, do all the things that you would normally do with a, uh, with a show, um, please. Uh, it is the episode that we've been waiting for. We're going to be talking to Steve Saka about... Uh, the Wagashi here shortly, um, but Jordan, I gotta say, I'm, I just like saying I'm living on Wagashi. I'm living on fumes, brother. I'm, <laughs> We've been living it up, I'm, Costa Rica. I was gonna say you guys look tan. I mean, I look like a giant glowing light bulb with my bald head. I'm so pretty. I do. Steve, but I you do guys look have pretty this tan. Look nice at this little like yeah. you know. Look at this glow. Island glow to you. Yeah, we had a uh, we had a great uh, time in Costa Rica. Uh, spent. Uh, I don't know, what was it, six nights or something down there and uh, had a good time. We got to see a whole we, – we, we, we saw a lot of beers and cigars, Jordan. Oh, yeah. Saw you of, saw them? We saw them. <laughs> you didn't saw, drink or smoke them? We you just saw them? We consumed, I was near them. We okay, you consumed them. them. Okay, so uh, now I'm proud of you. Before, I was a little bit worried that something bad happened. But last night, Scotty uh, – by the way, Scott Braband in the studio audience there. No Matt tonight. He's traveling, uh, so we wish Matt the best. He's got some, some stuff going on that he couldn't be here tonight, so I uh, hope that Matt's doing well. But, Scotty, um, last night uh, – coming home from Costa Rica, which was slated to be a long day of travel uh, already because uh, we had a fairly long layover in between in Houston. And then our flight got delayed a couple of different times. Um, thank you, Southwest Airlines. And ultimately, <clears throat> we didn't leave Houston until almost 1 a.m. last night. Well, that's fun. So <laughs> so last night I... Uh, I got I, I ultimately got home at like 3:30 a.m. tried to get as much sleep as I could to to sort of prepare for today's show and be ready but it was rough. I got to say there was one amazing thing that happened last night at the airport in Houston. Uh, by the way, I didn't even know. I didn't even I, this is how stupid I am. I didn't realize Houston had two airports. I didn't either. <clears throat> and so we were Hobby. At, we Who were knew at, about Hobby? We were at this other airport, Hobby a- Airport. It's basically like a Southwest airport. There's, it seems oh. like it's all Southwest. Okay. Anyways, we were trying to find stuff to do. It's a very small airport, so there's not much to do there. But, Scott, as I was walking around, I found this uh, massage chair. You know, that you pay? Yeah, the little, like, you put the dollar in or whatever. Yeah. And, yeah, you sit down, and it's got the footrest and everything. This thing worked me 
it worked me like a mule. I, I think I think I have. Did it fix you or break you? It might have broken me. I, I think I might have a, a broken rib or two in the back. But I did this thing like three different times because Jeez. if it felt it, it, hey, it, it, one a or it, um, near one a.m. at the. We were uh, in Costa Rica, and you could have got a Costa Rican say, massage I, I'm on like, the beach. I, I feel like you you're, do you're, that. You're, you're covering for the fact that some, you know, golden goddess from Costa no. Rica just worked you over went three ways from Sunday. I wish that. And was, you're like, no, it was a massage chair. I swear. <laughs> I, I wish that was the story. In fact, that that is the story that I should be telling. But the truth be told, it was a a mechanical chair, and this thing was. It was it was addictive. I could not stop uh, allowing it to just beat the, I'm not, the tar out of me. I don't like massages. Didn't know you were into that, Eric. Robot. I learned something new about Master Sensei. Huh? I didn't know I was into it either until <laughs> he learned something new about himself late last night. But uh, it's crazy because um, because it, it 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 did do. I think it pulled a rib out, Jordan. I might have. I might touching have, your ribs? Yeah, I might have separated a, a rib or two, but that's okay. I'm going to be fine. And uh, uh, tonight is uh, we're back Friday Night Live. We skipped last week because we were um, that was the first living night. Living it we, up. We were living it up. We uh, got this amazing mansion that we were staying in. And I got to I just got to say something about Costa Rica. So I've in, in the last three months, Jordan and I we've done Nicaragua. Uh, then the next month we did Honduras, and then this was the, I've been to both of those countries several times. Uh, Nicaragua, lots of times. Uh, I'd never been to Costa Rica before, and I gotta say, just I just gotta say, Jordan, the mm. people there are the nice that they're the yeah. nicest people. the The locals are the nicest group of people I've ever encountered. Like yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like they actually don't hate you for having kids and bringing them <laughs> to like restaurants and stuff. Like you go to a restaurant and the waitress would just if if one of the babies was like having a hard time, she just be like. Oh, here I'll take it. She takes yeah. the baby and like they take her off and she's holding holding one of the babies. Like that would never happen here. What a great what a great country! Amazing sunsets. Uh, if you get a chance to uh, to visit Costa Rica, I highly I highly recommend it. Now I know we were staying in a kind of a, like a ritzy sort of area, kind of fancier area. So I don't know if maybe they're not all that way, but um, certainly that area was just. Yeah, they probably have touristy, you know, they do have touristy yeah. areas in Nicaragua and stuff too. But. They, I, I really felt um, safe there. Like, I felt like you could walk around at any time of day or night and not have to right. sort of be, you know, a little bit nervous of, you know, usually in Honduras we have like a couple of guys with shotguns, <laughs> you know, standing close to us nearby. I, I never felt like we needed that there no. in Costa Rica. It was, just a, it was just a beautiful place. But we are glad to be back. I hate missing uh I hate missing any smoke night live um and so last week we did take the week off so appreciate you guys being patient with us um tonight uh we're bringing back one of the most opinionated and fun guests for some the- reason the commenters are just wondering how drunk Saka's going to be I don't know is, is he even <laughs> posting weird stuff on social or what he did he did sh- he did show up like an hour early to the show so we'll see but let's go ahead and bring him on right now uh Steve Saka Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust Steve welcome back to Smoke Night Live my friend how are you I'm breathing my friend still alive still kicking still trying to well just trying <laughs> Steve we have uh we have a ton to talk about tonight but before we get there before we get there people always like to know what we're drinking and what we're smoking and I, as you know, Steve, uh, Jordan, I, and Scott, 
uh, all the dojo guys. We're we're big bourbon guys. And um, I know that one of your favorites is Noah's Mill. So I r- ran out uh, in honor of you, my friend, and snagged a bottle of Noah's Mill. And here's what I don't get, Steve. The, I can get this bottle in Las Vegas for $42, but here in here in uh, Colorado, it's it's double that. It's $85. I don't get that. I don't, I don't understand why that is. But uh, in your honor, Steve, I'm going to... I'm going to bust open this bottle of uh, Noah's just, Mill. Just which for is... the record, I, I can explain to you the cost in Colorado. Okay. Colorado is on the verge of sheer communism. Well, so, you <laughs> that's know what? true. You guys are just going to have to suck up those stupid taxes no. as long as you morons keep voting the way you vote. So <laughs> that's true. That's true. Enjoy, but your, anywhere... your 40, enjoy your $80 that should be $40 bottle of bourbon. No, that's all I can any, say to anywhere you. Anywhere you go, Noah's Mill is like 65 I've never yeah. Vegas is the only place I've ever yeah. seen it at forty. Yeah, I don't know why. I always maintain uh, Vegas must have like the reject version of it or something. It didn't make any sense why it's that cheap. Here, Jordan, it doesn't make guess. any sense. Now, Steve, uh, you got some yourself, I think, right? I do. And you know, when I when I really found Noah's Mill, which oh, is like maybe good. five years ago or something, this was like twenty nine a mm-hmm. bottle. Yeah, and I keep Jeez. getting converts on it. And all of a sudden, it's in, and Jordan's right. It's about sixty-five in most places now. Yeah, yeah. That um, so Noah's Mill was always like the affordable little brother of uh, what was the one we were getting? The, no, 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 no. no, no that, oh. Rowan's Creek. Is, no, Noah's is, Mill has always been like the granddaddy of that collection. There's like Rowan's Creek. But there was no, one. No, no. There's. It wasn't no, the no, same. No, 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 no. Slow down. Yeah. There's the pot still bottle, the one that comes in the fancy bottle that looks like the pot still, the Willet. That one's terrible. It's like their main one. No good. It's and terrible. Then, and then the bottom end where the soft, where the softer, more sugary bourbons were, those became Noah Mill. And then on the other end of that distillation, the hotter, more peppery one is Rowan's Creek. Mm, yeah. And then they have the Family Reserve or whatever that uh, – I can't think of what it's called. Right. You know, the purple purple label. Um, now, Steve, before we get into talking some, some Mugashi – Oh, by the way, what are you smoking? It looks like you got a sober mesa there. Smoking this wagashi, man. Oh, you son of a <sighs> son of a gun! All right. Oh. <laughs> uh, How I, is it? <laughs> I, no, don't wait. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, I've got myself a uh, sober mesa brulee. All right, right there. Boom, boom. I've smoked a zillion of these bad boys. Jordan, you got something different. What do you got going? I got the uh... He's going Sakakon. Big old beast. Scotty, you, you, are you in on this or no? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm you... rocking the Dojo Unconventional Cigar of the Year. Oh. The Stillwell Star Ooh. Holiday 2022. Wow. There we go. So we're all uh, part- a little kooky. Hope, hopefully, everybody's uh, partaking with us in some Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust. Steve, I don't know if you saw uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe it was a month ago now, um, we did a show where we asked uh, artificial intelligence to uh, re envision. All of the uh, main sort of cigar personalities, and um, we did you. I, I'm pretty sure you might have seen this, Jordan. Let's go ahead and uh, show the folks in case they didn't see. Well, we started with, you know, this photo that one of one of a one can sell event Port Authority back in the day, and AI spit out uh, this beast. Look at that, Steve. Is that majestic? Saka squash. <laughs> I like the tit action he's got going on. <laughs> yeah, I didn't quite know how to handle that box of cigars there. If there, if there ever was a Sokka Squatch, though, I mean, that's that's 
got to be what it would look like, I think. It seems like. I don't know. It's spot on. Yeah. Anyways, um, you, 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 you made for a good... Uh, some of those didn't uh, translate as well, but that one—that one was perfect. That was a good one. All right, see, let's talk some Mogashi. Um, this is a, let's let's talk the genesis of this project first. Mogashi. Um, there was. Uh, it's so been I, like three so years. Am I supposed to do the romanticized version, or am I supposed to do the the the, the truth? What, should, what am I supposed to do here? We only expect the truth <laughs> make, from you. Make it sexy. Oh, this is good. this, this is going to be very disappointing for some. Okay, go ahead. Keep going. Yeah, let's let's get into uh, how this came to be. This is one of those projects that's um, that's taken us a very very long time to to do, and for good reason. That's that's a good thing. Like uh, you don't rush perfection. But uh, I remember Steve. We were trying to figure out like uh, you know what we would do together if we were going to do a collaboration. And early on, Steve. Um, you had an idea. You you had said something about really wanting to show the world how a uh, a Connecticut could be done perfectly in a sort of a box press format. So uh, take it from there. What do you remember about the uh, genesis of this project and how it sort of came to be? Well, the way I remember it was we talked about, well, actually Abe talked to me about doing a dojo project. And I said, okay. And you said, okay, but then life just got in the way. There was just a billion other limiteds and exclusives and other shit that I had made much harder promises on. And at the same time, you guys have been sucking on the dojo teat just fine without me, right? You got a whole line of dojo universe going on. And well, Abe certainly doesn't need another limited for me, for God's sakes. So it was just an easy project to kind of punt. And uh, so it was really about uh, last year where I said, okay, I, I really need to get this commitment off the books. So that way I won't owe anybody anything before I die. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and at that point I was like, okay. And I knew you guys really liked the brulee from the past shows. And, um, and, I, and, I don't, and I don't, and this is where I make it a little fuzzy for some people. I don't know how most of your collaborations are done. I don't know how involved or uninvolved or where you guys are at, but anybody that knows me knows that nobody ever gets an opinion about anything. So, so all the limiteds and all the exclusives, when Small Batch got Barbara Amarillo delivered to send to the customers, that was the first time they ever smoked it, right? They didn't get samples before and get to give their two cents. And um, so I really wanted to make a project that I knew you guys would like. And I also wanted to make something that was special. And I wanted to make something that would take up some of the pain that poor Abe DeBabna is going to feel this year when Red Meat Lovers goes nationwide and he doesn't have it as a limited. And just it was kind of like a trifecta of like three things that really worked together, which led to going, okay, let's do this. And one of the things that I had already been working on was another Brulee Blue. In fact, I've actually already made a bit of it that's sitting in the cool rooms that was going to be a Churchill format. And I was just, cause I'm just so genius with my names. <laughs> I was going to call it, wait for it. The big blue. Okay. Mm. So, so I had the big blue all done and ready to go. And then I thought, no, you know what? Why don't I do something a little bit more interesting and make it for the dojo project? Cause they tend to like brulee. 
and I had always wanted to do a, a trunk pressed Connecticut shade. Um, you typically don't do them. I mean, there are some brands out there that have them, but normally you have to use a kind of a more thicker kind of grade of Connecticut to get away with it. And the other problem that you have is you crack so many of them. And also the wrapper always gets a little dirty looking because when you press it in the trunk, it ends up getting a monchar on it. And monchar is kind of like those brown spots that are just but not like a bruising is what it actually is. And it's really you just pressing on the wrapper and pushing the oils up. So what you're looking at is actually those little brown things um, when they come from the trunk on the Connecticut is actually um, oil that's been expressed to the surface and is staining the wrapper. And I want to be very clear. I'm only talking about on Connecticut shade that's trunk pressed. I'm not – you don't take that as a good thing when you see other wrappers with a lot of monchar on them because it typically isn't. But it is one of the challenges that you have when you do the shade in the trunk. And when I have a line like Brulee, and it's so much of what it's about is clean. I mean, I want the wrappers to be, I want just to put a, a name on it that most consumers will understand. I, I want it to be Davidoff-esque, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I want it to be that clean, that pristine. It really look like those classic white label kind of wrapper. Um, hue wise and that makes doing a trunk press like wagashi tough so how do you uh how do you get around that what do you without uh, obviously uh, no trade secrets but uh what is it about yeah. this that well, I mean, allows look, you to uh make it without those spots and such I mean, it's 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 figuring out so first of course is figuring out the right filler amount so that when you press it it's not too squishy but it's not too firm because too firm will always crack the record wrappers and too squishy is just not fun to smoke. Um, and then the other thing is also figuring out what to do with the binder texture wise that uh, will end up, you know, because normally most binders are a little rougher. But what I discovered was I had to use a really fine binder so that the texture of the binder wouldn't be pressing from the other side. So changing the binder grade, grade's not the right word because they're not different grades, but the, the texture, uh, the grain of the leaf, um, I found that to help. And then the other thing was just a lot of experimentation with time, you know, to try to figure out what's the right time. And then also not only figuring out the time, but also figuring out what the right moisture level was to get them into the trunk at the appropriate time rather than moving them directly from the tables each day and into the trunks the same day. Figuring out what the better moisture content was to try to minimize that bruising and that cracking. So so with Wagashi, we probably made about... Let me think about this. So we've done... Eh, we, probably, we probably did close to 4,000 cigars that we just wasted trying to figure out how to get the price right. Just get the just to get the whole process exactly the way you wanted it. So is it more is it like a wrapper grade binder basically? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I guess you could phrase it that way. Sure, if we want to put it in simpleman's terms. <laughs> I need it in simple terms. <laughs> it's a wrapper we use. Is that offensive? Boy, I gotta try. If that's offensive, we we have problems. So. <laughs> now you did mention that um, in your sort of. Uh, preamble to this that uh you you sort of like to have control of these things like and 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 that is 100 percent true in fact we're going to get into some of these you answered a bunch of questions on facebook and i'm going to re-ask those questions to you in a minute 
and let you just sort of uh, riff on them a tad. Ramble. Uh, ramble a bit. Uh, but before we get there, yeah. you know, you had mentioned that um, that you sort of like to, you, you know, you, you're in control. You want to have it the way you want it. And that is 100% true on this project. Um, typically in a, in a dojo collaboration, you know, we're like trying some blends here and there. We might name the thing. We might even do some of the band art. Like uh, in this one, we just we just said, you know what, Steve, he's he's got the vision for this cigar, and we're gonna let you run with it. Even the name Wagashi is is something that you came up with. Uh, talk about that name. Coming up with that name, um, it, was it something you researched, or was it something you were familiar with? Like, uh, it's a beautiful name. It goes perfectly with brulee, and then you know we have sort of this Asian theme. But talk about the the, the naming convention. So, so this is kind of where I, I also, I kind of left something out in the original thing. This is also one of the reasons why I wanted to do the project because I love the name Wagashi and it just seemed that it was a perfect word to use for the brulee, that whole universe of cigars. And I just didn't really have a way to do something Asian themed and get away with using the word Wagashi. So you guys were like the perfect beard. You know what I mean? Oh, cigar dojo? <laughs> oh, I could put like a samurai on there or something, right? I could get away with anything. And I'm like, man, this Wagashi has got to be it, right? No, absolutely. Wagashi. Yeah, no, it's a it's a I cool mean, name. It rolls <laughs> off the tongue, you know, rolls off yeah. the tongue. But but for those unfamiliar, what Wagashi is is it's a it's a Japanese dessert. It's a small bite, maybe one bite or two bites, and it's typically made out of like a, a really simple like soybean kind of thing. It's like a, it's like an egg-free kind of custard. It's uh, dairy-free, I should say, dairy and egg-free actually. Um, and it's um, and it's very delicate. You know, it's light taste of almond, light taste of chestnuts, little floral notes. It's a, it's a very elevate, elevated, elegant. This thing, and if you look at some of the photos online, uh, some of them are just absolutely beautiful. They're, they're typical Japanese, right? I mean, these people, these people got it down to a, a science when it comes to just aesthetically pleasing. So, folks, uh, if you are, are not aware, and it's crazy, Steve, like this, anytime we do uh, one of these collaborations, um, there's always people at the end or near the end that are like, I never even, you guys, I, I missed this one. I didn't even hear about it. But if you haven't heard about it, we've been talking about this for a long time now, at least a month straight on various shows. Steve's talked a great deal on Facebook about it. Um, but you can pre-order right now on Smoke In. Um, and the pre-order is just $30, uh, which sort of like locks your box in for yourself. You can just order as many of those as you'd like. Uh, if you want to order 10 of them, you can. Um, you can still do it up till May 5th. You can put in your pre-orders for $30. And then the Cigar will be finished somewhere early to mid, late. We're not really sure yet. Uh, November, and that's where you'll pay the balance of your uh, project. Smoking will send you an email, and they'll also um, have a, uh, a notification in your Smoking account. We'll let you know that it's ready. You pay the rest at that point. Here, Jordan's showing the box right now. Um, and when you do that, um, the box will show up, boxes or boxes will show up at your door uh, a couple days later after the final product is done. And uh, if you do the pre-order, you get this really cool golden coin. It's a smoke-in cigar dojo, Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust Wagashi challenge coin. This is the only way you'll ever get this coin. It's uh, limited to uh, the pre-orders. 
So you're going to want to make sure you do that. Now, Steve, the response has been phenomenal. I mean, it's been uh, more than uh, all of us guessed or suspected. Um, People are excited about this release. And this is a fairly uh, expensive project, but it's because the the people understand that uh, Sober Mesa Blue and then the offshoot of that, this uh, Wagashi, this is a very, very ultra premium offering. kind of like... When I hear that, it kind of annoys me, to be honest with you, because, <laughs> okay, and, I, and I, again, I'm going to go back. I, I personally think that the Brulee line is as good as any Connecticut cigar out there, okay? Now, granted, I'm biased, so let's just say he's biased. But I really think it stacks up there, and I think that it's just as good as any Davidoff white label. Like, I personally think it's better. I think it's got more flavor, but... Separate of that, I mean, just a regular old Davidoff number three anniversario, that's now a $30 cigar. So why would people think that anybody could make Davidoff grade cigars and, and, and somehow it's cheaper for them to make it than it is for a company like Davidoff that just has resources upon resources and efficiencies upon efficiencies? So I, I always find that comment... When people start talking about something expensive, I think it's expensive if you're talking about it compared to a eight, nine, ten dollar cigar. But that eight, nine, ten dollar cigar isn't shit comparatively. When you compare it against the cigars that it's in the realm with, I actually think it's I think it's a very I think it's a very reasonable deal for the consumer, and I think it's fair to me too. I, I make I make some money, but uh, I don't I don't I certainly don't gouge on. The only, only thing we gouge on is unicorns. We don't even really gouge on those, but that's a separate story. Now, working with um, working with the guys at Hoya on this project, you know what's interesting is Jordan and I are talking about um, Hoya. Like, I think uh, the perception, a lot of times the perception with a Hoya factory, you, you think of like these, you know, really peppery, uh, strong uh, cigars that they do, but they're so good at Connecticut's. I mean, think of the amazing Connecticut's that come out of Hoya just in general. You've got the Numero Uno. You've got the CT, which won Cigar of the Year with Half Wheel. You've got um, their Classico, which is, is an amazing cigar. Like Hoya really does do um, – I mean, they are really good at Connecticut's in general. But working with them on this project, uh, talk a little bit about working with Hoya with the factory there and the uh, Wagashi. Well. I have a, I have a, I've had a really close relationship with the guys at Hoya now since uh, Drew Estate took over the distribution. Um, I was actually the person that negotiated and did everything with uh, Dr. Martinez to make that come to the final fruition. Um, so I've always had a really good working relationship. And what that allows, and what it allows for me to do there is I have a long history and they know what I'm like to do business with and I know what they're like to do business with. And they also have an understanding that I actually know what's going on. So I don't get treated like an idiot stepchild and it makes the projects much more interactive, you know, as far as just all the little stuff that normally you wouldn't get involved in. They, they let me stick my fingers in occasionally um, just because of my familiarity with all the processes and whatnot. So everything I make with Hoya is a very um, 
it's a very hands-on kind of experience. And, and, and I appreciate the fact that they let me do that. And I think that, uh, and I think you're right when it comes to talking about their Connecticut's. And part of that, I think, if you really think about it, there was a time in the U.S. where Hoya Nicaragua was the number one selling cigar in America. And that cigar was that Connecticut Shade Classico. And so Hoya's had many, many decades of making mild shade style cigars. They have a lot of experience. Uh, the problem that Hoya has is consumers don't look at Nicaragua as the place to get mild cigars from, right? They just almost universally just in their head, that's the Dominican Republic or, or it's Cuba. And um, so it's kind, of, it's kind of an uphill battle when you think about it. You're, you, you make these really, really great mild cigars, but your name is Hoya de Nicaragua. Mm. So you end up with a little bit of a problem with the consumer. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, and I, I think this um, the the sober mesa just in general is is a great example of of what can be done. Um, and I think ultimately, maybe in time, that perception will start to fade. I mean, it already kind of has. I think just uh, based on some of those releases that they've done. But um, I think Wagashi is going to be something that uh, that folks are going to be you know pleasantly surprised with i know if you've had the blue uh that's one of our favorites it's an incredible cigar um we're we're super excited about um what folks will see and i want to get your comments steve on this interesting facebook post that you made um with some questions that you just answered yourself so almost like your own faq that you did uh but before we do that let's go ahead and uh, take our commercial break real quick jordan um, this show, ladies and gentlemen, is sponsored by JR Cigars, one of the world's largest online cigar stores. JR's inventory ranges from everyday bundled cigars to incredibly high-end boxes, plus a large selection of cigar accessories. Enjoy the best prices on your favorite brands such as Romeo, Hileta, Monte Cristo, Crown Heads, Davidoff, and many more. Make sure to try one of their exclusive lines such as the Drew Estate Nightshade, or the limited edition Cigar Dojo 10th Anniversary Champagne by Perdomo. Celebrate over 50 years of excellence and stock up on your favorite cigars today. This is episode 375 of Smoke Night Live. We are chatting with none other than Steve Saka on a Friday night. Friday Night Herf. I know folks have been uh, checking in their favorite cigars on Dojoverse.com all night tonight. But we're talking Wagashi tonight. And Steve, on Facebook the other day, you made a post and you posed basically uh, six questions to yourself and then answered those six questions. I think it was six. Yeah, it was six. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you these questions again and um, just let you comment a little. You can comment as little or as much as you like. Uh, the first one you started with was question one, is Sober Mesa Brulee Wagashi a one and done order it now, never see it again type of thing, or what? Oh, wait, hold on. Your audio might be muted. You there? I can see you, but I can't hear you. Give him like a wave, maybe. He's not muted. All right. There we go. Hey. Hey. Okay. Sorry. sorry about uh, that. No, that's Technology. all good. That's all good. Um, Technology. Anyhow, yeah. So I was saying that no, Wagashi is not a once and done. Um, a lot of work and time went into Wagashi. Wagashi is an extension on the 
on that extra series of brulee, with blue being the first special release. Wagashi will be the second special release. Um, I think that uh, the only difference is uh, when you pre-order them now, you're going to get them at you're going to get them. You're going to be the first to have them, essentially. And uh, so, but honestly, sometime in 2024, I anticipate on uh, releasing Wagashi to uh, to all of our top accounts. And it'll still be a dojo product also when it's in those accounts. So Now, one of the things in your answer, Steve, that I thought was interesting, um, you said one of your goals was to not make the flippers happy. Um, explain what you meant by that. Yeah, look, you see it. You see it a lot of Pete Johnson's old products. You know, he made all these limited editions, and people now pay crazy money. Look, at, and the thing is, look, it's it's good for Pete from the point of perspective that it makes it shows the general public just how much they adore Pete's Tatuaje cigars. So that part is good, but it's not like Pete made any more money on all of that, right? Uh, the retailer doesn't make any more money. It's the person that just happened to be at the right place at the right time with room on their credit card right that's that's the person that ends up happy and i remember i remember when i was at drew state and we were doing you know feral flying pigs and we made like two dollars and sixty cents on every feral flying pig and i saw consumers flipping them for a hundred dollars a piece and i'm like man we go through all that work three years with the tobacco have to make it quality control, get it in a box, ship to the country, distribute to all our people, do all the customer service, all the accounting, and we make two bucks. And here's some dirt bag jerk off, you know, <laughs> ended up just walking into a store when the feral pigs got, or feral flying pigs got delivered. It's like, oh yeah, I'll take five of those boxes. And the retailer, of course, he's going to be happy to collect the money, right? Because it's five boxes off his shelf. He's putting his money in his pocket. And the next thing you know, that guy is, uh, in all these social media groups and Reddit selling those cigars that cost him $15 for a hundred bucks a pop. And my attitude is fuck that guy. You know, why, 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 why should we do all the work and put all the risk and, and it ends up flip. Now, listen, I kind of say it that way. Like I'm like anti flipper. I'm, I'm not really cause capitalism is capitalism. So, if that's what you do, that's what you do. And look, your consumers, they're making an educated decision about whether they buy it or not, whether they pay $1,400 for a pair of sneakers or double the price of you know, uh, a Rolex Daytona. They're doing that of their own free will. So I don't really have anything against the flippers per se, but I don't see why I should try to facilitate it hmm. when really I want my people to get the benefits of the fruits of that being a really good cigar that people want to smoke again. That that's what I want to have happen. Cause that's, what's in the best interest of, you know, everybody on my side of the fence. And it's actually in the best interest of the retailer too. So but by um, acknowledging up front that this is going to be at some point an ongoing project, um, the thought process is um, maybe that will, um, uh, buy it you know, to smoke it. Th yeah, buy it to smoke it. Enjoy it. There's going to be more. You can get more when the time comes somewhere down the line. And you don't have to pay uh, double or triple the price to some guy who 
bought the you know ten boxes right now. Like you'll you'll have your chance. Uh, enjoy it. Don't be too freaked out about smoking them when you get them. But that challenge coin. Well, yeah, there's that. You got it. You might be flipping. You might be flipping <laughs> might the be challenge fl- yeah. coin. So. <laughs> Three hundred bucks on eBay, baby. <laughs> All right. Um, the next one, I think this is a uh, this is the million dollar question. Uh, we you sort of alluded to it a little bit um, earlier, but let's go ahead and uh, delve into it a little bit more. Uh, what will the wagashi taste like? Uh, what are folks going to experience when they get this cigar? What's it going to be like? Um, I mean, in the most simple terms, just think brulee blue but bigger, you know, with uh, more copious smoke. Um, just much thicker, denser clouds because there's just so much more of it going there. But it's, you know, it's that same kind of creaminess. It's kind of that nuances of nut and caramel and cafe. And I mean, and that was one of the reasons why the name Wagashi is so perfect. And then you add in the brulee inherent sweetness and it just, it's, it's just a really nice, mild, flavorful, yet satisfying. I mean, I think it's something that, uh, I think it's a really, really nice Connecticut shade cigar, and I think it, uh, and I think it's a, I think it's a look. It's hard to follow up blue, right? Because I, I think blue is one of my best cigars that I've ever made, personally. And so, if you're gonna make something else, it's got to be right there, toe to toe. Now, is it better? Uh, that's gonna depend on who you are as a consumer. Some consumers are gonna prefer the format of blue more than they prefer the format of Wagashi. And the Wagashi blend is slightly tweaked, too. It's not just a direct proportional scaling of the blue blend, but the blue blend was the core. And um, so, I mean, I think it's going to be a toss-up. Some people are going to go, wow, Wagashi is the new blue for me. And other people are going to go, nope, I still like the blue better. But I, I, th- I think there's a place for both, you know? What does the, um, what does the San Andreas uh, binder bring to the table? <sighs> Well, this is true on all of the on all the brulees. They, the San Andreas binder. It really depends on what you use, right? So you can't use most San Andreas as binder. Um, most of it ends up being a bit too textured and thick. Well, you can, but you can't use it under Connecticut shade. I should say there's a better way of phrasing it, right? Because it you know you don't have any extra texture to camouflage the thickness of the binder and the leaves and the, and the, not the leaves, but the veins and the ribs and the way they go. So on this, I, I like that, that, that San Andres Negro adds a, it's also inherently a sweet tobacco. Right. So it's right. kind of nice pairing the sweet with the sweet. The other thing I like about it is it has that little bit of earthiness. It has that little bit of smokiness. It just adds another um, contextual element to the cigar. Cause if you take the very same blend um, so like one of the things that I do just personally oftentimes is when you want to know kind of how the binder is affecting the flavor of the blend, what I will do is I will make the blend and I will put a very neutral Indonesian TBN binder in it because the TBN is almost neutral when you smoke it. It has a little bit of that weird Indo thing, but you can pick that out really quickly and just kind of, okay, that's from that. But it really lets you taste what the cigar tastes like not having that other binder, whether it be a Habano binder or a San Andreas binder or a Broadleaf binder. And it's just a nice little trick. So that's the way that you can actually tell how the binder impacts the flavor. And now I just gave away a trade secret. Why am I doing this? 
I don't, no, know, actually, I don't know that I've ever. Let me say this. I don't know that I've ever had a cigar maker tell me that. Oh. That's some, that's some shit I came up with on my own. Well, fuck. It's out in the universe now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, Jordan and I have talked about this a great deal. Um, the, the Connecticut's that do have that San Andreas binder. I, I think there's, it's, there's something that it adds to the flavor that sort of like it, it balances out that sort of uh bittery hay note from the Connecticut in such a good way. Like, like the, there are other cigars that do this. And, and I, and that's, I think this is one of the reasons I love the sober Mesa uh, brulee so bad, so much in the first place is it just adds, I don't know, like a little bit more, um, stick to your uh ribs sort of 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 flavor that you wouldn't maybe get with uh just your typical you know connecticut wrapped cigar i think it does add a lot to jordan that we've talked about with these types of cigars yeah that's like a, a recipe combination that i'll actively look out like yeah uh, it's got a connecticut wrapper and a san andreas binder i don't know i can't think of another two wrapper binder combination that i actively seek out as much as that Look at him. He's pouring more. He's thinking. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I'm not thinking. I'm drinking. There's a difference. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that's that's a combination, Steve. That's not unheard of. But it, it doesn't get used maybe as much as you might think it will, just based on how good the the cigars that utilize that combination typically are. Well, here, well, here's part of the problem. Part of the problem is most people don't have access to that set, enough San Andreas Negro to be able to pull out the proper texture and elasticity that you need to use for binders. So you have to be going through a lot of San Andreas Negro or have access to somebody who's going through a lot of San Andreas Negro that will let you come in and then cream for this very particular leaf that you want to use as a binder. And it's one of the secrets of brulee is that that's what we do is we, we just have the option to go and cream this 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 wrapper crop looking for the binders that we think are good and it's really great for the broker who is handling this particular production because i end up taking so much of the binder out that the people that want to just buy wrapper which is almost everybody they don't have to buy a lot of this other stuff right and so it's kind of a win-win but it just requires you being ahead of the game and saying okay this is when the Mexican crop's coming in. This is when it's going to be ready. Get over there and pull what you need out of it. And uh, so, yeah. I, and so most companies don't have enough San Andreas Negro to do it with because you would need so much of it. So there's only certain companies that go through enough of that wrapper that can even be in the game of pulling their own binders from it. All right. Now this uh, question three that you asked yourself <clears throat> And answered so eloquently. Uh, you also kind of alluded to this earlier, but uh, some folks asked you, uh, "Why are they so expensive?" Um, and and again, I we already, we already covered that. We'll go to, yeah. just give them the time yeah. marker. All right, we'll, we'll skip. We'll skip over that one. Uh, the million dollar question, um, and some people, you know, there's still debate on this that goes far and wide. Does it have a sweetened tip? <laughs> you know, I've gotten guys asking that in the comments. I was waiting. <laughs> Yeah, they're, they're going to ask that forever. And I've already answered it 8 million times. So <laughs> even if it does, I'm so far down the rabbit hole, I can't say the other way. I'll be burned alive, right? It'll be like a public pl flogging. Um, but no, it's it's the same situation. 
And uh, now on the flip side, um, so Wagashi doesn't, but none of the Brule do. But if you think they do, then Wagashi does. I, I don't know what else to tell you. Right? It's just that simple. Um, now, I will, though, in 2024, I will be releasing a, a Sweet Tip cigar. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, it won't be, it won't be part of it won't be part of brulee, um, and it won't be part of Stillwell. Um, I, I, I have a project that I've been working on for a long time, and I'm hoping I'll be ready with it in 2024. There you go, Coop. Rumors and teasers—they're coming out, buddy. Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> hey, come on, let's get real. If it wasn't for rumors and teasers, human beings wouldn't talk to one another, right? <laughs> we, we talk to one another through rumors. We talk to one another to tease each other, and we talk to one another to lie with each other, right? I mean, but honestly, you, you got to have rumors and, and teasers. It's part of life, for God's sake. It's, it's the spice of life. It keeps us going. Yeah, exactly. While I'm on this topic, what I find so funny is I notice William throw out some teasers quite often. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So... It's a little kind of kettle calling the pot black, right? So, <laughs> he, uh, just, so, uh, he just doesn't publish them on his, his website. But he I likes mean, to talk about them a lot outside does. of that. <laughs> uh, all right. You already, um, you already sort of mentioned uh, if there's anything else you want to add to this, uh, why is the initial drop at Smoke In? Uh, you kind of mentioned um, the fact that uh, Red Meat Levers is going national and you kind of uh, – uh, you kind of wanted to throw something back to Abe. Uh, is there anything else you want to add to that one that you uh, you talked about on Facebook? I don't even remember what I talk about on Facebook. I'm there so much. It oh, was God. the longest oh. answer. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I, I almost got bored reading it. <laughs> In the end, it's always going to come down to what people think when they get the box, right? Yeah. I mean, they're going to get the cigar, they're going to smoke it, and they're either going to go, oh, Sokka did another good job, or, man, Sokka fucked the duck on this one. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, there's always that risk factor when you're buying something, you know, blind. I, it's one of the things that, as a cigar guy, I'm just so honored that so many people buy so many of my blends, you know, just totally blind. Now, with Lugashi, it's not really a blind purchase. I mean, it's it's based around Sober Mesa Brulee Blue. So you kind of have a point to go from reference-wise. Um, but, I mean, but no, I get, a, I get a lot of good faith from a lot of people. And uh, so, you know, it's it's up to me to try my best to never disappoint them. And I, I don't think I will on Wagashi. But, you know, you never know. It's going to end up in the people's hands, and they're going to end up saying what they think. Right. Uh, and then the last one was, uh, is it true that the dojo or smoke in have not even smoked Wagashi yet? And yes, I can attest that that is, that is true, but I have my faith in Steve. We know what he can do. Um, we know how much we love this particular let me, cigar. Let me, explain, let, me, let, me, let me explain why I didn't send you some yet. So we started production on the cigars in January. So I really think they need a couple more months from those early cigars for them to be where they need to be. So I'm smoking it now, but I've been smoking it since January, right? And as we go along in the process and in my head, I know, okay, it tastes like this, but it's going to taste like this in four weeks. And, you know, another six or seven weeks after that, it's going to be here. And so I really want you guys, when you first smoke it, 
to smoke it the way the consumer's going to get it, the way it tastes when it's ready to come out of uh, out of the cool room. So part of that is I just I just I want to give you guys the right experience when you smoke it the first time. Now, Steve, I know that you spent a great deal of time uh, picking out the green uh, color that is on the band. Um, and uh, talk a little bit of the process of picking that green, because it seemed like um, it seemed like it was a challenge for you, maybe. And you really wanted to you really wanted to hit a certain type of green. What what type of green were you looking for? And are you are you happy with what you got? Yeah, look, I was look. The brand's name Wagashi, right? And it's part of that whole extra color series, you know, with, with the blue. And I wanted it to. I wanted to have that Japanese green. I wanted it to have that creamy, kind of soft, little bit minty kind of look to it. You know what I mean? But it couldn't be too dull because it's standing against all the gold bronzing that's on the Silver Mesa band. So the color's got to have a bit more vibrancy than that. Cause it's going to be contrasted with the gold and I'm really just, I'm anal about everything. <laughs> and, and, and I don't know, colors just really bother me. Like, so like I, I have a band out there right now that the red isn't quite right on and it's the tricky Traka band. Uh, I, I just, I mean, and it's hard to change it because the cigar sells fantastic and nobody's ever bitched about the color red on the band. So you guys are the first ones to ever hear that. Personally, I'm a little disappointed. I think I could have gone a, a couple slight Pantone numbers a little different on that one. So when I want to make something like Wagashi, I want it to be right. So I end up having to do a test run of bands and you have no idea how expensive that is because I mean, the way these bands get printed, they're done on very large machines that when you turn the machine on, so to print one band costs like $5,000 minimum just because of the startup and the stopping of the machine and then dialing it in to get it right. So much gets wasted. And uh, so other than me just saying, Hey, I want to see a color that's green. I'm like, no, I want to see these five different greens. <laughs> so I had to do five of these test runs you know, to, uh, to get the green the way I wanted the green. And yeah, it's a stupid amount of money. Now I didn't pay 5k for each one of them, but it was a stupid amount of money. And, uh, yeah, but in the end I'm happy. And my hope is that Wagashi is going to be on the shelf 20 years from now. And if I want it to be on the shelf 20 years from now, then it has to be worthy of being on the shelf. And there's very little in the marketplace that actually, ends up on the shelf for 20 years. You know what I mean? I mean, you're in a, you're in a definite, you're right. up there in the stratosphere when you're there. Right. And so I think Wagashi is a blend that's worthy of being that. So therefore I want to make sure I get the band, right. Right. Uh, Jordan, it's going to be gonna... that band for 20 years. A couple of guys in yeah, the I was comments ask you about questions. were wondering about the aging potential. Uh, Mike Harvey said, once we get them, what would you say is the smoking sweet spot time-wise? And and Bill Powers said uh, your take on the aging potential on these. So I think when you guys get them, you're going to get them at where they're approximately six to seven months old, right? The, the latest ones. Well, maybe you won't. 
I got to look at what the numbers we did in January and February. We may be closer to you guys getting them where they're already got eight months of age on them. So they'll definitely be very smokable at that point. Um, but my intent is to eventually get Wagashi on the same scheduled pattern as, uh, as Brulee Blue, where we have, where we're doing them at least a minimum of a year in the cool room. So I, I think, I think the year is going to actually be the absolute sweet spot. That's mm, okay. where I think the sweet spot is going to be. And then look, it's a Connecticut shade cigar. So it'll, it'll stay in that really nice place for probably another two, three years. But once you have that box of shade on your shelf for three years, at that point, it kind of becomes a law of diminishing returns. They're just going to slowly lose essential oils and eventually just become kind of almost flavor free. So I, I think that I would consider the optimal time for these cigars to be one to three years. Now, that may be different on the Brulee Blue because of the ring gauge. Um, when you shrink down the ring gauge on a cigar, just because it inherently smokes stronger because of that ring gauge, sometimes the sweet spot on those can actually extend much, much longer. And it's one of the reasons why you see like in the really vintage markets, some of these smaller formats are some of the most prized ones amongst the people that actually smoke the cigars versus the ones that just buy all that vintage stuff to collect it. Right. All right. Uh, so folks, uh, go to smoke in, do your pre-order now, 30 bucks, get you in the game and, um, you're not going to be disappointed. Steve recently. I'll, I'll tell you there's yeah. one other point though. Yeah, go ahead. Another reason why you'd want to do this now is because when we release them nationwide, um, they're going to be hard to get. I mean, it's just it's just going to be that plain and simple. It's going to be basically Silver Mesa Blue all over again, but probably worse. Mm. So, I mean, this is an opportunity for someone to to get a box of Wagashi without any hassle. To make sure they, you know, they're in. Right, so they get it right in the beginning. Now, there is a hard number, and you guys know what the hard number is. And if we hit a certain number of boxes... I won't be able to deliver beyond that for the November target, not because I won't have cigars made, but because I won't think the cigars are ready to go into the boxes. Because once we started Wagashi production in January, my intent is not to stop Wagashi production. They're going to keep producing Wagashi every single month. Gotcha. Uh, Steve, uh, other topic, um, changing gears, so to speak. Um, recently, uh, you went on a uh, bourbon trail uh, sort of uh, a tour. Uh, I think you're with Jeff. And um, uh, talk about that. Uh, what was the bourbon trail like? How, how did you have fun on that? What was it like? Yeah, I mean, first off, if you're going to do the bourbon trail, do it with Jeff Borshowitz, right? That's kind of <laughs> like having – it's kind of like going with the Don, right, to, to bourbon <laughs> country. It's, I mean, he's, he's like the biggest – He's like the biggest barrel individual customer bar in the country, right? So, um, so uh, I think that the experience with Jeff Borshowitz is better than the experience with uh, pretty much anyone else, and definitely better than me going by myself. Uh, so I, I had a little bit of a my experience was a bit gold plated, right? Yeah. Well, what was your what was the best? Uh, what was your favorite distillery? Um, you know, oddly enough, I mean. You know, we saw we we only saw about four, uh, four or five, um, and I liked them for different reasons. I was really impressed with Maker's Mark mm. because of 
how they do such a good job of telling the story and how just and look, it's simply beautiful. It's like almost like it's a Disney version, right? But it's still at the same time still very legit. Um, and then you know, but I think my favorite experience was actually when we were at Wild Turkey. You know, <laughs> I think that you know, you know, there you are, you know, uh, Russell's, you know, grandson or son. You know what I mean? He's the one that's there picking Russell's reserve with you, right? I mean, you can't get any more, and it's in a dirty old, you know, uh, barrel house. It's nothing fancy, no tour, no anything. And there's no gift shop for you to buy anything. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> none of that. It's just, it's completely just down and dirty. This is what we do. We make bourbon. And uh, I don't know. I Maybe it's just the purest in me. Maybe it was the fact that I was already probably a bottle and a half in by the time we got there. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I, I, I really, I really, really enjoyed my time there. And actually during the middle when, you know, Jeff's doing his barrel picks and he's, he'll ask what I think. But in the end, what I think about his barrel picks means nothing, right? He, you know, he's, this is what he does. And uh, so when we were there, he was going on, he was really spending a lot of time picking that Russell's Reserve barrel, which by the way, I liked a lot. There was another barrel that was better, but I digress. Anyway, so <laughs> but the barrel he picked was like my number two. So anyways, but he was taking so long. I mean, he was really investing time in the project that I said, hey, give me another pour, give me another pour, give me another pour, give me another pour, give me another pour. So I had like a full like Glen Carn glass. And I just went outside the uh, went outside and lit a cigar and I was just drinking the bourbon and sitting there leaning on the rickety rail and, you know, smoking that cigar. And that was, that was like the perfect moment. Mm. It really was. Ever, it was. Do you ever imagine um, a time where maybe you would um, bring a group down to uh, sort of go through your operations uh, in, in Nicaragua and, and do something yeah. like that? Cause it does, it does sort of really build lifelong, you know, like loyal, fans of your brand that then they become evangelists for you you know like a lot of companies do this kind of thing do you ever imagine something like that oh not really i hope not i thought I you mean, had told look, me one time steve that you had considered you know maybe um doing something like that in connecticut and having an area where you could bring people in and well, that's nicholas nicholas is the one doing that Oh, I thought it was you. Uh, uh, you're wrong. Uh, <laughs> no, you're going to do it. You're doing it. I mean, I think, I mean, I think, and this is one of the areas that I'm not as romantic about this as other mm. people are. I mean, I used to be, but I'm, I'm kind of a bit of a jaded old bastard at this point. <laughs> really? No. no. I can never and, and for me, What? And for me, for me, Nicaragua's work and the time I have there is really, really precious. And I have so many different things that I want to do. I mean, some trips I'm on are really, really cool. And yeah. Other trips I'm on, I barely leave the conference rooms. You know <laughs> what I mean? So, I mean, it's just... I, I I I just I don't see me playing the hostess with the mostest in Nicaragua. Now, does that mean that maybe sometime in the future, God willing, we become that big a company? But I think that's the other thing too is, I mean, when you talk about the companies that do this, I mean, they're much much larger companies. I mean, like when we say much larger, we're talking you know fifty fold larger. So I mean that's. Uh, 
it's 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 too much of a lift for us. I mean, I'm I'm so busy now. I look and able to tell you the last time he called me, I said, "Can I talk to you about something?" I said, "As long as it doesn't take any of my time." You know what I mean? Because I just don't have a moment of time to give. Mm. I mean, so the whole idea of playing wet nurse to a bunch of cigar tourists. Oh, go to the Drew State Cigar Safari. That's a great deal. Right? Get one of the factory tours with Perdomo. He does a great job. Go down with the guys at Pepin Garcia or Abdel. I mean, they got the houses and the infrastructure and the staff and all the crap that's necessary to make it a good show. You come with me, I'm going to be like, fuck, you're in my way. <laughs> uh all right, Steve. Oh, I was going to ask him yeah, go uh, ahead. Uh, audience question. Bill Powers was wondering if you're going to be at uh, Rocky Mountain Cigar Fest this year. I am. Yep. I'm going to be right. there. Um, you know, look, I don't do much on the West Coast at all. Um, it's just, again, it's a time constraint more than anything else. So Rocky Mountain is a really good way for me to see a lot of, uh, a lot of the Dunbarton smokers that are out there on the West side of the country. And look, it's a great event on top of that. So, yes, I will be there. Now, what I don't know is how early I'm going to be able to come in because I know you guys have your dojo party, like, what, the Thursday night beforehand? Right, right. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make that. I got, I got a little bit of a scheduling conflict. Come on. Well, you just do your best. You're always welcome, of course. Uh, Steve, if you were a, uh, if you were the doctor, so you're the doctor and, um, the cigar industry is the patient and the cigar industry comes in for a checkup and uh, you're the doctor. And now I am the cigar industry's, um, you know, mom. And I want to know it. I, I want to know your, what your prognostication is. How is the cigar industry doing right now? How in our checkup right now, where are we? Are we, are we doing good? Is the cigar industry doing good? Um, talk a little bit about that. You mentioned before the show, what you, some thoughts, but I'd like to, you to expand on that a bit. So, look, in, in the moment, right now, look, we're having a little bit of a hangover from COVID. Like the COVID years were such, like, unexpected cigar booms. We never expected the boom to be that much. And, of course, look, we're like, the, we're like, a, we're like a giant oil tanker. <laughs> Everything we do takes a long time to do. So by the time we gear up factory and production and everything to satisfy, satisfy this crazy 2021 demand, by mid-22, it kind of went back to normal. Mm. So what you see is you see, uh, I mean, last year, I think the stats were just published, 465 million imports in the year of 2022. That was too many. Not like cigar smoking is dying. It's actually larger than it was before. But it's not 2021, right? Those numbers were crazy. And now what you have is you have cigars that were meant for a 2021, but you have them in 2023. So it's going to be an interesting year. And I think that for, and I think, and look, I'm, uh, we're, we're, we're growing, but by the skin of our teeth right now, mm -hmm. right? It's not, it's not the boom that it has been. And, and uh, the deals and the discounts that are on the streets right now to try to move product it's probably the most aggressive that I've seen it in probably the last, I don't know, at least 10 years since about 2009. Yeah. That would have been the last time, All 2009. Right. And you have a, you have a consumer that 
he's feeling pinched by the economy. And he now also has all his non-COVID unlocked in your house things that you can do again. And it's going to make it a little bit of a, it's going to make it a little bit of a tougher year for most people to swallow. Um, but on the flip side, I think that there's a lot of consumers that smoked a lot of cigars during the COVID years. Um, and look, they don't have time to smoke two or three a day like they were. But this was the guy that used to smoke one or maybe two a week if he was lucky. He got used to smoking two, three a day. And now he's made it more part of his everyday ritual, right? Now probably four nights out of his work week, he tries to take a few minutes on the back deck if it's with a Corona or a Robusto. And then when the weekend comes Saturday, Sunday, he smokes two or three cigars on Saturday and two or three more on Sunday. So I think overall, I think that we're going to come out healthier, um, you know, going forward. I think that there's, uh, I think that, there's a lot of people that found a lot of joy in smoking handmade cigars during COVID that are now making it rather than an occasional thing, much more a regular thing for them. Now, long-term, if I had to tell that mother what I thought, I think her son is going to live for a very long time, but I think he's going to have a very unexciting life. He may end up being uh, you know, paralyzed. You know, <laughs> you know uh, and the reason why I paralyzed. say that is because as our industry continues to consolidate, everything gets a little more bland and a little more boring and a little more homogenized mm. and a little too generic. And this consolidation pattern, it's not going to stop. It's going to continue on. I mean, God willing, I get consolidated, right? I mean, that's just kind of the way it is. And when you couple on regulations from our government, and I know right now we're in this wonderful kind of pause period, courtesy of the federal courts, but this isn't going away. I mean, our government has decided that, you know, personal choice is not allowed to us anymore on a myriad of issues, and in particular when it comes to combustible tobacco. So even though we get this win now, it's hard to see a future where we don't become a very highly regulated business, which then in turn makes only those companies of a certain scale able to weather those waters. And what those companies make is a very good, generic, okay, nice, decent smoking cigar, but they don't tend to make a lot of home runs that really grab your attention and are special and unique. And so that's why I say, your son's going to live a really long time. Cigars are not going to go away, but he's going to have kind of a boring life. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> um, the uh, Premium Cigar Association trade show announced that they're moving uh, the 2024 show into springtime. Do you have thoughts on that? Do you care? Does it matter? What do you think? Is that good? Is it bad? Is it indifferent? No. Hallelujah. It's about fucking time. Are you kidding me? I should have done this 20 plus years ago. This nonsense of us in the middle of the summer is just a bonehead idea, and it has been from the beginning. And the fact that TPE showed that you can do a trade show for tobacco in a season that isn't supposedly the dead of summer kind of forces these guys to go, okay, we got to figure this out. And uh, no, it should always have been a springtime show. Would you? It's the time that makes the most sense. Would you still do both shows if that was the case? 
No, I'm not. In fact, I just told TPE today that we wouldn't be showing it TPE because that doesn't make sense. Now, it may make sense for other companies, though. It depends on who your consumer is. You have to understand that at Tobacco Products Expos, that's what it's called, right? TPE. Yeah. I mean, the vast majority of the show is based around, you know, head shops and discount tobacco outlets and, you know, all sorts of alternative convenience stores and all of that stuff, right? So the handmade cigar part is a very small segment of that. And the vast majority of the customers that do all the other stuff, the 90% those buyers, they're buying for their head shop, they're buying for their tattoo parlor, they're buying for their convenience store. And what they need is they need cigars that are super well-known, right? If they're gonna be a handmade cigar, it has to be like a Romeo and Julieta, it has to be an acid, it has to be something where the consumer just like, in, so like even like Rocky Patel is almost too novel for them. Or the cigar has to be basically $4 or less going out the door. So when you look at Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust, we don't have either of those things. We don't have a brand that's well-known, nor do we have a cigar that even comes close to the price that 90% of the buyers that go to TPE want. So what ends up happening is the only people that we do business with at TPE happen to be the regular traditional brick-and-mortar retailer who comes to TPE. That's who we write at TPE. So if now the other trade show is only six or seven weeks later, I don't see the retailer who is our retailer attending TPE and then going back to Vegas six, seven weeks later because the weather is still good in March, right? In fact, yeah. I would even argue the weather in March is better than the weather in, you know, end of January, first week of February. The end of March is just like perfect. So I just don't think that our customers, current customers that we have, are likely to go to both shows and our customers are far more likely to go to the PCA trade show. So therefore in 2024, we will not be doing the tobacco products expo, but we will of course be doing the PCA. But does that mean I won't return to TP? No. And I might personally attend TP because I like to kind of get a feel for the land. Cause if I'm, if it isn't a smart decision, I want to figure out that it isn't a smart decision. So I may personally end up going, you know, to see, but we're not, we're not planning on exhibiting. It, do, it just doesn't make sense for, for Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. All right. Uh, two last questions for you, Steve. Uh, appreciate your time. Uh, PCA also announced that they, uh, after 2024, could theoretically uh, be moving out of Vegas to other locations. Uh, this is a two-part question. A, how do you feel about that? B, uh, are there locations that you think make sense? So, look, everybody has their cities that they like and they don't like. I mean, in my opinion, we should try to do the trade show in Florida. It, look, it doesn't benefit me because it's still a long distance travel for me. But for the vast majority of the people that are in our industry that exhibit, it would make their lives so much easier and so much more economical if they did the trade show in Florida. And Florida happens to be a cigar-friendly state, so it makes sense to give that cigar-friendly state our money. And Florida, if we keep the show in the springtime schedule, well, nobody doesn't like to go to South Florida or Mid-Florida or Northern Florida in, uh, at that time of year. So I, I think that that's a win. Um, so that would be where I'd like to go. And um, 
as far as, but the one thing that I absolutely don't want to have happen is I don't want the PCA to decide that we're going to move to a different city to then move to another different city to then move to another different city because the cost and the logistics of making that happen are just astronomical. And that would really dramatically, I think that would really impact how most of us exhibitors are going to deal with the show because it's, it's really, really expensive. Like it's expensive to store our stuff in Vegas every year for us to get, but it's not as expensive or as difficult as packing everything for a long haul cross country trucking. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you end up spending so much money on crates and then you actually pay more money because you have to transport those crates. It's crazy expensive to move the trade show from place to place every year. So I just hope that the PCA, if they decide to move us someplace, I'm happy to go there. But please leave us there at least three, four years. Right. So you have a chance to sort of set up a home base for a couple of years and not have to well, yeah, worry about it. To just, you know, you got you to gotta suck up that cost. Of moving from point A to point B, it's it's not it's not a little expense. Yeah, um, a couple of weeks ago we found out that General was coming back to the show, and now we're hearing sort of rumors that Altidus and uh, even Drew Estates are coming back to the show. What are your thoughts on those three of the big four coming back? Uh, positive. I actually just posted about this. It's actually two of the big four coming back this year. Um, because Drew State's back this year. They're just doing it under the guise of being in the Hoya de Nicaragua booth, right? So, and of course, uh, uh, our friends at STG are back in a big way because now they have to fill the Alec Bradley booth. I mean, it'll probably be more Forge-focused, but, and if you really get into it, STG was kind of back last year with Matt Booth, weren't they? Yeah, so kind of. Justin Andrews was walking around. <laughs> so I think you're gonna. So I think that. Uh, so I predicted that two would come back in some form or fashion this year, which seems to be true. And then I said that three of the big four will be back by next year. And if you take the half wheel article for what it says, it appears that I'm gonna be right on that bet too. Um, how do I feel about it? Um, as an industry, I feel it's good. I mean, I, I think it's good that we all be in one house. I mean. It doesn't make sense to have the largest companies that produce the most cigars and have the most customers not be an active part of the Premium Cigar Association and the trade show. Uh, What I would say to them is don't be stupid like you were before and build those mega booths that there's just no reason to have. Build something that's reasonable that is a good return on investment, right? Um, At the same time, I also have a little bit of under I have a little bit of animosity the fact that well these are the SOBs that ditched us and now they've realized that they got to come back because uh, jerks like Sokka are sucking dollars out of our wallets and we don't get back in there and fight this this fat prick is going to take over right so I mean so I mean you know so from that point of view I kind of feel like well screw you you know but uh, but ultimately but ultimately, for, for the industry, for the business, I, I, I'm glad they're coming back. It's, I think that I, I think they made their point. Mm-hmm. But look, the PCA is not entirely at fault. 
you do have some control over your own cost and what you spend. And if you want to go ahead and build the Taj Mahal, then guess what? This shit costs a lot of money and it's just stupid. Put the amount of resources that justify the number of buying customers that come. And then the PCA is perfectly fine. All right, Steve, last question. We're going to let you go. Thank you for your time. Uh, what is coming up this year travel-wise? Where are you headed? What's going on with uh, uh, Dunbarton Tobacco and Trust? You're going to be at some places that you can mention to the folks that are watching. And uh, it, uh, as far as other things go, do you got, uh, you got? I'm assuming you have a very, very full calendar uh, for the next, uh, I don't know, six, eight months. Yeah, my calendar is pretty chock full, but... Uh... As far as consumers go, I'm, I'm not doing an awful lot of events this year. I mean, I know mid-May, like May 15th, I'm doing Rocky's uh, anniversary. That's to replace that misery event that I do every Christmas where I get snowed in. Um, and then I know in June I'm doing another uh, Smoking Cigars on the Battleship with uh, Evan Darnell, a Red Meat Lovers event with Casa mm -hmm. de Monte Cristo. And then, of course, I'll be at the trade show in July. And then August, I'm going to come out to Rocky Mountain Cigar Festival. Now, consumers, most consumers won't care about this, but I think I'm going to spend a week in Switzerland oh. um, doing events for our friends at Davidoff. It's kind of weird. Uh, I do a lot of business with Davidoff in Switzerland. I do barely any business with Davidoff in the United States. Hmm. I, don't, I don't know what's up with that. So, but they're Swiss. <laughs> they, know what, they know what's going on. So, I, so I'm going to probably end up spending some time um, there. And then um, in October, I have one trip. I'm going to go out to uh, Northern California, have a beautiful dinner with Napa Cigar, and then I'll have a couple other visits around that trip. And then November, I'm supposed to come down to uh, Smoke In to do this kind of something about some Wagashi launch party <laughs> or some I think it's uh, yeah. the middle of November. Yeah, we've got that... So We've got something scheduled there. We're going to be there too. Steve will be there. And of course, Abe will be there, you know, obviously. Uh, Steve, have you paired the cigar with actual Wagashi yet? Does it pair well? I have to admit, I, I haven't. I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I We're going to do it. I should have lied at that moment. I should have lied. I know I should have lied. Damn it. You're supposed to lie <laughs> there. You're supposed to lie. You're <laughs> so bad at it. All right, we're You're doing so it once we get these it. cigars in. <laughs> Yeah, we'll we'll yeah. get some wagashi yeah. at smoke in that night. Do stuff for a moment. To my credit, I go between New Hampshire and Nicaragua. Where do you think of those two locations? There's good wagashi. <laughs> yeah, can I you mean, even get this stuff? <laughs> no, I, I I guarantee you, I I don't. I bet there's no place in New Hampshire I can get wagashi. Oh yeah, <laughs> I've never even that. heard of it. I don't know that they, we can get Until, it here in Denver. Maybe we'll. We're well, gonna find out. We're gonna we're fixing to find out, but we will definitely try to do that in uh, in November at Smoke In. That's gonna be great. I know Abe's Abe's watching. So Abe, uh, find a place in <laughs> in Boynton Beach that has Wagashi, and we'll uh, we'll order some of that up for that event. Uh, we'll we'll give more details as we get closer to that. Steve, thank you so much for taking the time on a Friday night talking. Wagashi and so many other topics with us on Smoke Night Live, my friend. We love having you on this show. Hey, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the cigar drop, and I think everybody's going to be very pleased. Yeah, I have no doubt about that. All right, folks, it's uh, it's Friday night on the dojo, which you know what that means. It's Friday Night Herf. We do this every single Friday night, so get your phone out. Go to dojoverse.com. 
Check into your favorite cigars. Start earning your uh, black belt in cigars tonight. Heck, you could be a white belt by the end of the night if you try hard enough. And then in a couple of months, who knows, you'll be a black belt and you can earn that killer challenge coin, um, that black belt challenge coin. So uh, that's what we're doing on the dojo. As far as Wednesday night goes, Flavor Odyssey returns. Obviously, we couldn't do it this week because we were traveling to Costa Rica, but Flavor Odyssey returns this Wednesday with Robbie and Randy. We are doing a pairing of this Wednesday with Italian Pilsners. What goes? What cigar goes well with an Italian Pilsner, Jordan? Any I've never thoughts? even heard of an Italian Pilsner until this <laughs> no, show. No, there's a lot of Italian Pilsners. There's that one, Pacroni, what is it? But I don't know. It's a famous <laughs> Italian Pilsner. Uh, there's a lot of good Italian Pilsners. We're going to... We're doing beer trends this segment. Uh, last uh, two weeks ago, we did the new cold IPAs. So this time around, we're going to be uh, trying Italian Pilsners. That should be fun. Uh, next Friday night, we'll have Smoke Night Live. We'll be back. I'll let you guys know. I got a show in the works, but I haven't uh, locked it in yet. So I can't say for sure what that's going to be. Um, and so then, as far as Smoke Night Live goes, that's it. Thanks for everybody joining us tonight. Thanks for Steve joining us. It was a great show. Go Avs. Uh, go Avs and go order your Wagashi right now. Your pre order is only 30 bucks. Lock in your box, lock in your challenge coin. Um, do all that tonight on the show. Until next week, remember, everybody, never, never smoke, smoke alone. alone. We'll see you guys next week. Look, kid, we're trying to work with you here. Tell us what we want to know, and maybe we can cut a deal. I'm not saying anything until my lawyer gets here. Bad idea. Look here, scumbag. I didn't spend 20 years on the streets to have some punk back talk me, all right? Now tell us what we want to know. What do you want to know? We're going to ask you one more time. And if you don't tell us what we want to know, you're going to spend the next 15 years in a slammer bartering for fruit cups. How did you get these cigars so quick and easy, huh? Is it the Russians? A street gang? Tell us who it is. Hey, Chief. What is it, Jenkins? I think you got them from Jana Cigar. They have the best prices on the biggest brands and some really great shipping options. Really? Yeah. Oh. All right, then. Uh, I guess you're free to go. You want to go hang out somewhere? Maybe watch a game or something? Yeah, sure. The Cowboys are on. You son of a... <laughs>